0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at MontroseChurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. Well, I was uh, thinking what would happen if we just took a moment and uh, we were quiet. What would happen to you? Because the song suggests that when we get quiet, then God meets us in that space and we feel reassured. Is that what happens to you when you get quiet? Sociologists tell us that we are experts, better than any group of people in history at distracting ourselves. That quiet is the last thing we want. And the truth is, for most of us, I mean, where do we go? How long can you go without having something going on? I mean, I can't go very many minutes before I need to check my phone. Gotta figure out what's going on, or have the TV on, or be doing something, just always doing something, never quiet, because when we get quiet, we hear the voices in our head. Okay, let me be more fair. When we get quiet, I hear the voices in my head. (laughs) And if you have voices in your head, it may be that those voices are not bringing you comfort, that they're saying things, that the soundtrack running inside of you is not comforting, it's not peaceful, it's not pulling you into space where you feel more comfortable. In fact, it's quiet space in which we hear the voices and we embrace the worries that go on. It's been said that we hear what we listen for. I wonder if that's true. There's an old story about a guy, a a zoologist, he's taking a tour of a a big city, a big urban area, and he's, uh, you know, making his way through the busy streets. And he's got a guy that's leading him and they're, they're kind of going along and all the, the, the sounds of traffic and people and all the chaos. And he stops and he says, I hear a woodland cricket. <laughs> and the guy that's leading him says, come on, man. There's no way you could hear a woodland cricket here in the middle of all of this. And he says, well, you, you hear what you listen for. And as a demonstration, he takes a coin out of his pocket and he flips it in the air. And when it hits the ground, a number of people stop. So uh, this, is, this is a hard sermon for me because the grammar is wrong. You, you know, I do understand that each time I say this, I'm ending the sentence in a preposition. So <laughs> for what do you listen? Is that better? <laughs> for what do you listen? Because there's a relationship between what you're hearing, what we're hearing, and what we're listening, that for which we are listening. See, now it'll bother me the whole time and I'll be distracted and... If you're new here, I have issues. (laughs) Eugene Radstep highlights a little bit about communication. He says, in fact, it's really important to be a good listener. Listening is an art, he writes, and it requires work, self-discipline, and skill. The art of communication springs as much from knowing when to listen as it does from knowing how to use words well. Ask any good salesperson or negotiator about the value of silence, and he or she will tell you that good listeners generally make more sales and better deals than good talkers. To sharpen listening skills, you need to practice and practice. Here are some suggestions that will help you become a better listener. Everybody ready? You can write these down. Number one, resist the temptation to monopolize the conversation. Seems basic. Pretty important. Number two, avoid judging the speaker too soon. I don't know about you, but we do this all the time. I mean, we decide within a matter of a second. In fact, we can look at someone and decide if they're worth listening to or not. Amen? That was a weak amen. <laughs> Number three, don't fake attention. It's usually quite easy for any, any talker to recognize that our uh are really ho-hums. Number four, listen for ideas as well as facts. Don't just listen to the story, listen to the person telling the story. Figure out what they're about, figure out how they're wired, figure out why they're telling you this story in the first place, which may be a question you ask yourself often. Number five, be alert to nonverbal clues or body language. Try not to just listen to the words, listen to the whole tone. We're told over and over that a high percentage of communication occurs nonverbally. Number six, use the speed of thought productively. We think three to four times as fast as we listen. Use that space well. All right. So now I'd like for you to think about those things and apply them to your prayer life. Do you dominate the conversation? Do you judge God's ability or willingness to answer even before you've prayed? Do you fake attention during prayer? Are there way more ho hums than ahas? Do you listen for God's great plan instead of immediate answers? Do you lean into God's heart of compassion and love? instead of focusing on the current problems at hand? Do you use your busy mind productively to go over the deeper truths of God's grace and presence of His compassion and care? We hear that for which we listen. Elijah is a great story. I grew up with the story of Elijah, and uh, it's a great Sunday school story. You can really tee off on the Elijah story. I mean, he's a poster child of prophetic power. Amen? I mean, who would not love to have, you know, like a giant E on your chest? I mean, a cape and an E, that would work. That's who Elijah is. I mean, when, when he says, I want a double portion of God's grace and power, he, it, it, you know, the, the reality of how Elijah behaves himself in this greater story that's going on. And so this reality then is we have this person, Elijah, who, who is able to ask the rain to stop, and it stops to bring the rain back, and it comes back to raise those from the dead. To, to, there are miracles surrounding this guy. And while we go through all of that and we see it and we embrace it and we, we, we have opportunity to be connected to it, you know, there's another part of this story that that I don't know about you, but for me, it's really become the story of Elijah. Growing up, it was all those other stories, the the widow and she had some oil and she had some flour and she made him a little cake and then she never ran out of oil and she never ran out of flour and one day her son died and Elijah raised him to life and of course, the great, great victory on Mount Carmel uh, with the prophets of Baal where, you know, he prays and God sends the fire and the whole nation of Israel uh, decides that God is the real God and the prophets of Baal. And, 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 you know, all the epic people, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and he's doing war against the evil empire and all of it is just, it's just huge. He goes up on the mountain, he prays for the rain to come. And and finally, after three years of, of drought and famine, the rain begins because he's prayed and he's asked and invited. And then there's the second part of the story. And I don't know, it didn't get as much press growing up, but it's become the story for me. So he goes from this mountaintop where he has just experienced this incredible victory And he's prayed and the rain has come and all the people are rejoicing. They're like, whoa. whoa." And then he gets a note. He gets a message from Queen Jezebel that says, I've heard what happened today. And may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not make you like them before the end of the day. The next verse is, and Elijah was filled with fear. And he ran, and he ran, and he runs from Mount Carmel up in the northern part of the coastal plain of Israel. He runs down to Beersheba down in the south, and he finds himself a boom brush, a boom bush, and he sits down, and this is what he says, let me die. My life has been ineffective, just let me die. I don't know how you get from the mountaintop. I mean, this is all metaphorical and literal, isn't it? Just a couple weeks ago, we were standing on Mount Carmel looking around going, yeah, it's kind of nice up here, nice view. We didn't go down to Beersheba and find the broom bush. Let me die. My life's been ineffective. And he falls asleep. And an angel comes and awakens him and says, listen, you need to get up and eat. The journey is going to be a lot. And there is fresh bread baked on the fire and water. And he eats the bread and he drinks the water and he falls asleep again. And the angel comes again and wakes him up and says, you need strength for the journey. And there's fresh baked bread. You see this bread coming up over and over in the Bible. And he eats the bread and he drinks the water. And then we're told he gets up and he travels for 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God, Mount Horab, way south, and he climbs up the mountain, and he climbs in a cave, and he wraps himself up 40 days and 40 nights. If you're keeping up in the story, then you know 40 days and 40 nights becomes the symbol of wilderness. Uh, You know, it rained 40 days and 40 nights with Noah. Uh, The children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, Elijah goes 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days. 40 days means wilderness. And don't you wish that was how it worked? Don't you wish you could check into the wilderness for 40 days and check out? That'd be awesome. It's the fact that we always sort of have one foot in the wilderness. We might be doing okay in a lot of areas, but there's always kind of one foot in the wilderness in our life and in our journey and he claws up in the cave and God comes to him and he says Elijah why are you here and Elijah says listen my life has been meaningless it's accomplished nothing I've gotten nowhere in this process in fact the fact of the matter is that all of Israel has turned away from God and turned their backs on God and 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 the prophets one by one have been singled out and killed and now they are coming For me. And God says to Elijah, I want you. To go stand on the mountain. And listen. And we're told that the next thing that happens is there's a mighty wind. But God is not in the wind. And then there's a powerful earthquake. But God is not in the earthquake. And then there's a fire, but God is not in the fire. And then there's a gentle whisper. And when Elijah hears the gentle whisper, he he wraps his cloak around himself, and he goes and stands in the mouth of the cave, and God says, Why are you here? And he repeats, it's verbatim. Why are you here? Well, everybody's turning their backs on God. They're worshiping Baal. The prophets are all being killed, and I'm next. And God says... I know you think that's true, but that is not at all what is happening. Here's what I want you to do. Here's where I want you to go. I've got a new king to appoint over Judah. I've got a new king to appoint over Samaria. I've got a new prophet who will follow after you, Elisha. In fact, there are 7,000 faithful folks who will form the center of what's going to happen Next, you have not failed. And when I read this story, I am so thankful that it's here. I'm so thankful that it's included because I think it's revealing. In fact, what I think is happening is there are five stages of listening that I think are going on in the story. So here they are. Number one, when I read the story, I see that the very first stage for Elijah is that he is overwhelmed by pain. He's overwhelmed by pain. You know, uh, this last week on the radio show, we, we are doing a little segment right now called God Questions on the radio show, and um, we did the problem of pain. And what I love about doing a half hour about, you know, God questions is you can't possibly answer the issue of pain. <laughs> but we quoted C.S. Lewis, God uses pain as the megaphone for his voice in our life and journey. He's overwhelmed by the pain. He, he, he's gone from this highest of highs. He's, his emotions are in open revolt. He, he, he's gone from this moment of, uh, of incredible power and spirituality. Down into this space in which how he feels and how he's thinking has completely taken over. It's completely overwhelmed him. And he's lost. He's immersed in it. He can't see anything else. He can't feel anything else. He can't talk himself out of it. He's just immersed in the pain. That happens to us, doesn't it? I mean, that the story is here. That they put it in there. (laughs) That he's not saying, well, but I've, you know, well, we don't have Elijah in the cave quoting scripture. Amen? You guys okay? on tv i can't really hear you i can't see you so i always assume that our online people are so excited you know two years ago i just in my head i just play a tape of how excited people are at home going oh they're looking at each other like it's like an infomercial they're looking around going oh so good And then we had so much time in the last year we had mass on. So I didn't know if you were listening or not. I just couldn't tell what was going on. This is all I could see of you right there. Now I can see all of you. I feel alone. (laughs) (laughs) It just seems to me that that this reality, this moment of, of cratering emotionally Even where the circumstances, you wouldn't really think, you know, she sent a note. She sent a note that said, I'm going to get you. God just sent fire from heaven. This is a disproportionate response to what's happening. Isn't that what happens to us? Isn't that what happens to you? You look at yourself and go, how did I get here? I was feeling fine five minutes ago. But I've cratered, I, 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 I've become immersed, I've become overwhelmed. One word, one thought, one incident, one circumstance, one uncertainty. And by the grace of God, the story is here so that this mighty prophet is brought to his knees by this overwhelming sense of pain. It's so very, very human to walk this journey. Number two. The second stage is he's immersed in his own inadequacies. He starts to focus on what's wrong with him. I didn't do so well. I'm not that good. I, I shouldn't have, God should have called someone else. I'm not adequate. I, I, I don't have the skill set. I don't have the temperament. I'm so glad we don't do this to ourselves when we're in pain. We don't ever look at ourselves and say, you know, if only I was better relationally, if only I were more optimistic, if only I had this skill set, if only my brain worked this way, if only I had been brought up in this sense, if only this would have, if only I could have focused on that, if only I hadn't given up the piano, if only I, was. Uh, amen. And that's what happens in pain. We are immersed and overwhelmed by the pain and we turn on ourselves. I, I I mean we sit in church and we sing a song about quiet. I'll just listen. But most of us are afraid of quiet. Because quiet is when all these things start bubbling up inside of us. And for a lot of us, this is the place we dwell. We we dwell on our inadequacies. On, on what we should have done, on bad choices, on bad decisions, on personal failure, on things we wish we would have done instead, on how our life hasn't made the difference we thought. We haven't been the parent we intended to be. Uh, we haven't been the spouse we intended to be. We haven't been. Uh, uh, and then we say, "You know what I need? more quiet." <laughs> or solitaire. And he turns on himself. And what's so interesting is nothing's changed, really. The power of God hasn't changed. The miracles of God haven't changed. The manifestation of God's presence and spirit on Elijah hasn't changed. What's changed? Elijah has changed. Elijah's seen something different than he saw 41 days earlier. Stage number three. He becomes isolated in his self-pity. First, we we attack ourselves about all our inadequacies, and then we feel sorry for ourselves. I don't know why God is doing this to me. I don't know why this happens like this. I don't know what is going on. I've done my best. I've tried so hard. It's not fair. The world's upside down. I'm not getting what I deserve. I don't know why everything is like this. Sometimes I, I wonder what God... Looks like when we're praying these prayers, you know, don't you think at some level that he's like, uh, 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 uh." because it is true, right? I mean, I mean, I would love it if our lives were compartmentalized in such a way is that we could say we're going 40 days of wilderness. We're going to do the boot camp. And on the other end of that, you know, it'll be like the whole 30 plus 10 days (laughs) and then we'll be done. Then we can get on with our life. Amen? That'd be awesome. But that's not how it works. At any given time, you and I, we can look at our life and we can see so many blessings and so many things that are working and so many ways in which God has answered prayer and so many things that are going really, really well. But I'm a remedial human being. I wish I wasn't, but I am. And if you give me a giant mountain of things that are going well, and you give me a molehill of things that are not going well, guess where I'm going to spend my time and energy? I'm going to be on the molehill. And I must pray, and God, uh, uh, I don't know why it's happening. Poor me. I just think in heaven, he's just going, ah. uh really? But that's not how God responds. Maybe you're in the stage of self-pity. Here's the miracle. It's in the Bible. The mighty prophet Elijah is working through the stages just like you do and just like I do. And I love it when people say to me, you know, the Bible is just a propaganda tool. It was written by the winners. Really? They were very bad at propaganda very very bad at propaganda and here's a prime example you don't let the superhero wind up in a cave complaining and bawling his eyes out especially not right after his greatest victory in his whole life except that you're telling a very human story about a real person and this is how real human beings live and this is what happens to them stage four he starts to listen. He starts to listen. It's a good time to go back and think about this. When you're listening for God, do you dominate the conversation? Do you judge God's ability or willingness to speak at all? Do you fake attention? Do you listen for God's great plan instead of for his immediate answers? Do you lean into God's heart of love and compassion instead of the immediate problems? Do you use your busy mind productively to think about the deeper truths of who God is and what his word teaches us about him? To me, this is the most frustrating stage. He's at Mount Horab. When you think about how God has visited the people, particularly when you think about uh, this trip to Sinai and the presence of God on the mountain, and you think about the reality that here God's presence was visibly Uh, uh, there in the sense of fire and lightning and earthquake so much so that the people didn't want to go near the mountain so this is somewhat an emulation of that scene all the ways in which God has powerfully appeared in the past are being visited on Elijah and so now Elijah there's a rushing and mighty wind and he he thinks as you and I would oh this is it this is it God's breaking through but God is not in the wind. And I don't know about you, but to me, that's that's the hardest part of starting to listen is because here's the thing. Oh, this is it. God's got its breakthrough. This is the answer. This is the thing that's going to make it all make sense. Now the wilderness. Oh, thank you, God. I can see. I'm so sorry I ever doubted. I can see how you're working. I can see how. Oh, that's not it. Does that happen to anybody else? And then there's an earthquake and the whole mountain shake. The whole the whole area is shaken. And then Elijah must have been going inside. Oh yeah, of course. Of course he's not in the silly wind. (laughs) Of course he's in the he's in this earthquake. Now I have an answer. Now God is gonna, oh now he's gonna shake the whole earth for my benefit. It it it's all coming together. It's the miracle job. It's the answer to prayer. It's the resolution. It's all becoming clear now. I am just leaping through the countryside. I'm running in fields of daisies. But God is not in the earthquake. And this emotional tug of war. I mean, at what point in this, in this process are you like, I don't want to pray anymore. I don't want to listen. I'm just going back to self-pity or inadequacy. I'm, I'm going to back up a couple stages I'll just get back there and be immersed in my pain because I can't take God toying with my emotions. And then there's fire. Visible, powerful, fearsome. Oh, yeah. Now, this has got to be the spot. But God is not in the fire. And then he hears a gentle whisper. And I don't know about you for me, I'm like, come on, God, be in the wind, be in the earthquake, be in the fire. Why has it always got to be these little whispers? Why you always got to be getting up here in my ear? Why don't you just shake the whole world? Why don't you just fix everything? Why don't you get everybody on the same page? Why don't you blow through this thing and burn up some stuff and shake down a few things? And he comes in a gentle whisper. And when Elijah hears it, he wraps his cloak around himself and he goes and stands in the mouth of the cave. And we finally get now to the fifth stage where God corrects and directs. I love the power of this scene. It's a direct verbatim repeat of what was spoken inside the cave, but now spoken and now God's going to respond. So what God says is Elijah, why are you here? Why are you here to me? That means you didn't have to be here. <laughs> you didn't have to come here, but I get it. Why are you, Why do you think you're here? Well, because uh, my whole life's been meaningless and nothing's really been accomplished and all the people of Israel have turned their backs on the kingdom and uh, one by one they've killed all the prophets and now they're coming for me. All right. Well, just so you know, just so you know, here's what I need you to do. I know that's how you see the world, but you're wrong. You're just wrong. And I know that It's so easy inside your head to have a perception of what's going on and to believe that perception because that's what human beings do. That's what we do. We get in our own heads and we get in our own pain and we get in our own inadequacies and we get in our own self-pity. And we define the world. We define who's right and who's wrong and and what's going to be catastrophic and what ought to happen and what shouldn't happen and what did happen and why. And we get all caught up in how we see what's happening, how we see our relationships, how we see our future, how we see our career, how we see all of it. And God just stops for a minute and in a whisper, he says, just so you know, I care about how you see it, but there is way more you don't see than what you do see. So maybe you want to, I've got a king for you to appoint over Judah. I've got a king for you to appoint over Samaria. I've got a successor that I need you to anoint who will come with you in the work. You won't be alone. I'm going to bring somebody beside you who's going to help to do some more work. Oh, and pretty soon you will be done, and I'll bring you home. <laughs> but right now, I don't only want to correct what you're doing; I want to direct what's next. And he begins to speak. I, I, I bet if we went around the room right now, and we just said, "Can you? Can we get specific?" <laughs> you know, if we pretended, you know, that this was an AA meeting. And people came up and took the mic and said, Hi, my name is, and this is my wilderness. I bet you most of us could take the mic because that's the nature of life. And maybe the nature of your wilderness is relational, maybe it has to do with your health, maybe it's jobs finances the future we're so good at all that aren't we I got a a invitation in fact I've gotten it over and over from Point Loma to come to a, a, a conference that's coming up here in a few weeks and the conference is called ending well just depresses me to when it pops in like I don't want to go to a conference about ending well what 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 is that about but some of us you know we're wondering what this stage of life looks like some of us are starting out and wondering how will we ever get there how will we ever buy a house and raise a family and do all the things you're supposed to do Some of us are thinking, how am I going to live out these next few years of my life? How am I going to be useful? How am I going to make a difference? But for all of us, there's some part of our journey that is likely in the wilderness. And when God is silent in the wilderness, man, it's it's painful. But to settle into that space and to trust God, In some things we know about this divine God of the universe. God is for you. And not against you. When is the last time you got quiet and the voices in your head told you it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. God has got this. You're not invisible and you're not abandoned. I know you can't see how it all works. You have a limited perspective. That's why the scripture says trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He will correct and direct because that's what he does when he speaks. You thought this, but it's really this. You saw it this way, but there's more. There's so much that you see, but there's so much that you don't see. And when's the last time when you got in that quiet space that that leaning in to the deeper truths about who God is and about how he works? Because I don't know about you, but This is what the scripture says. It's still okay. It's still okay. Well, but 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 this happened. Still okay. And we can play that other game. (laughs) What if this happens? It'll still be okay. But but this person died. I got it. The story doesn't end in failure, it ends in victory. What else you got? Well, but what if this? I'll take care of it. But, what, but, what, but what, what if it's? I'll have you. But did you know? Yeah, I got it. Well, but this would be, if this happens, then I'll still have it. But are you paying attention to the politics? And the, I got it. But Russia and the Ukraine crazy people I got it could you come up with something in which god could not step into that space and said listen all things are not good but in all things i will work for the good of those that love me and are called according to my purpose i will walk in that journey with you and it will be okay i will get you home let not your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe also in me my father's house are many rooms if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you I'll come again so that where I am there you can be also but we don't know where you're going how could we possibly know the way Thomas said I am the way the truth and the life No man comes to the Father except by me. Just follow me. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to try to solve all the problems. In the quiet. For what do you listen? What are the voices that are speaking? Let's pray. God, we're thankful. We're thankful for Elijah's story. We're thankful that this powerful, anointed, this man who bore witness to the great, powerful presence of God. Not sure how he would have tuned up his spiritual life any more than it was tuned up. And at the height of his connection and communion with you at The display of your power manifest in this very powerful, literal way. He crashes emotionally, spiritually. He falls into a a deep, dark cave. We're so thankful that the story is there the way it is. I pray for every person right now. That feels that a part of their life or even most of their life is in the wilderness. I wish sometimes it would be a mighty wind or an earthquake or a fire. I wish sometimes it would be the highly visible, difficult to miss, everybody could see it and get it kind of manifestation of your presence. But I know that most often you still come in a gentle whisper. And I want to give you thanks. And I want to pray for all of those who are with us online and all of those who are gathered here in this room. And I want to ask your blessing over them. I want to pray that your voice would be present in their journey and in their life and whether their wilderness is about relationships or whether their wilderness is about their career or their life or their finances or it's a health issue or it's grief or uh, whatever it might look like, God, I'm asking you to enter into that wilderness with them and I'm praying that you would wrap them up in your arms and you'd remind them you're my child and I come in a gentle whisper. I don't berate you or push you away. I embrace you and I feel the anger and the loss and I feel the fear and I'm right here and I'm going to stay right here and I'm going to keep whispering in your ear. Help each of us to be ready and willing and able to hear your voice. I pray that you'd hear our response to your word. I, I place all of these folks, those in this room, those online, those that will watch through the course of this week, and I pray your grace and blessing over them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said together, Amen. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.